We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have another double feature for you this week. We are joined by two guests, a Ukrainian and a Russian chess player guest, each of whom share their perspectives on the Russian-Ukrainian war. Um, I know it can be tough to follow the news sometimes. I myself am guilty of sometimes tuning out the day-to-day happenings of the war, but it's important to stay attuned to it. And of course, the conflict has impacted the chess world in many ways, including with Grandmaster Sergei Karyakin having been removed from the candidates' tournament, suspended by FIDE due to his reprehensible statements in support of uh, the Russian unprovoked attacks. Um, So it was important, I felt, to discuss the impact it's having on the chess world, and I thought it would be good to get different players' perspectives. So you'll hear from Grandmaster Kirill Shevchenko. He's a bright young chess star, 19 years old, number 92 in the world. 
Uh, he joined me from Germany, where he and some of his family have relocated. He's in between tournaments. He uh, recently played the European Championship, and he's got his first Grand Chess Tour event coming up. So it's like his career is taking off at the same time that his country is in turmoil. Um, it's a tense moment, but it was um, quite enlightening to hear Kirill's perspective of what the attack was like for him and his family and how he's reacting and his views on how the chess world should react. And after the interview with Kirill, we are joined by Russian Twitch streamer, uh, return guest Maria Elmoyanova, a.k.a. Photo Chess. Uh, Maria gave a moving interview about how she and other Russian chess players have been impacted by the war. Of course, she is a staunch opponent of the war. She has been outspoken about it. She has done a lot to raise money for Ukrainian causes, but her her personal life, as you'll hear her say, has has also been upended. She left Russia the day they were attacked, and she's not sure if she'll be able to go back. Her mother is there without a lot of family support now, and she's not sure if and when she'll be able to see her again. So uh, very moving um, perspective from Maria, but she also had sort of um, a grounded perspective about the the impact, the greater impact that is being felt by Ukrainians. Um, so I think you'll find both interviews moving and worthwhile as I did. Uh, there's not as much chess talk as usual, but there is there is a decent amount of chess talk. Um, I did want to mention two other things about this interview. Um, number one, there's more background noise than usual in parts of both interviews. I apologize for it. I won't, I'll spare you the details of how it happened. But suffice to say, we try to avoid it. We learn from it. We tried to clean it up as best we can and uh, try to provide better audio quality. But uh, you can hear both guests loudly and clearly. And I also wanted to mention that there is a transcript available. There'll be a link to the transcript in the show notes. So if you decide you would rather read these interviews, uh, that will be easy enough for you to do. Uh, lastly, I'm donating the ad revenue from this podcast to causes suggested by Kirill and Maria. Uh, Kirill suggested Care with Team Hakaru, and Maria provided a link to donate to um, Ukrainian chess player Nastya Rachmangulova, and she's working to provide direct assistance to. Um, to those who need it, finding places to stay and food and stuff like that. So I'll put links to those in case you're moved to make a donation as well. So uh, without further ado, let's get to the interviews. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And I will catch you all in the interviews. And we are here with the top junior in Ukraine with a rating of 2652. He's a Ukrainian national champion, 19 years of age. He's the number six junior in the world, the number 92 player in the world. Uh, our guest, Kirill Shevchenko, earned his international master title in 2016, grandmaster title in 2017. Um, in November of 2021, perhaps his greatest achievement yet, he won the Lindoris Abbey Blitz tournament in Latvia, Finished ahead of Fabiano Caruana, Aronian, Dubov, many other heavy hitters. Um, he tied for 20th in the FIDE World Rapid. And, of course, being a Ukrainian player, he's he's been actively playing, but obviously other things on his mind as well. Uh, he was featured in an article by Peter Doggers of Chess.com discussing what he and a lot of the other Ukrainian top players are uh, have been going through. So here to discuss both his career and the Ukrainian national conflict, we have uh, Grandmaster Kirill Shev Shevchenko. Thank you for joining us, Kirill. Thanks, too. So, Kirill, um, you know, you've 
Um, it's great to see that you're getting to play. Uh, you've you've been busy, and you've got even more stuff coming up. You got your first invitation to the Grand Chess Tour, which I am excited to discuss, and I'm sure you're excited to play. But if you don't mind, Kuria, I'd like to start with um, with what happened, obviously, with the Russian uh, unprovoked attack invasion of your country. Um, Beginning on February 24th, um, could you describe when the actual attack took place? Uh, what was going on with you and your family, Kuril? Uh Well, actually, the first uh, things I already heard about the starting war, it's, it was about uh, 17 February. I've heard that some something is going to happen, but uh, actually, we wasn't sure. I don't usually read some political news, so... Um, I wasn't really interesting in this, uh, but uh, everyone talked about this, so I decided, okay, I will uh, also be in. Uh, in I, I mean, I, I started to read some news, and on twenty third, uh, I went back from my gym and I heard some explosions not far from us, and I, uh, as I noticed uh, later, it was like a training session. But it was tank uh, um, explosion, so it was like a military base, not far from us. I even didn't know about that. And uh, okay, but uh, my parents told me that it was like training, so it was fine. Next day, my parents um, woke up at uh, 4 a.m. because they uh, their room uh, is located very. Uh, well, well uh, we are living near the Borispil airport. It's two kilometers or three from us. So uh, they can uh, literally uh, see a lot of uh, space. And uh, they suddenly uh, saw that uh, some red lights are in the sky. And uh, we heard uh, numerous of explosions. And they, uh, okay, we are together uh, packed our luggage we collected all docum documents and uh, some money and uh, exactly uh, very uh, we, we, we even didn't think about uh, what to do because uh, some of our neighbors just uh, left the house and uh, run but we decided to go to the basement and uh, we were sitting there about two hours then explosions started to uh, less and less uh, uh, explode so um, after that we turn on the tv and uh, actually the president of our country Zelensky Vladimir he already uh, gave a speech uh, which uh, mean that uh, uh, the war has started and we decided to think what to do because it's quite difficult uh, to to leave your home because if you don't know uh, where where will you go? Because it's it wasn't possible to leave the country in the first day because uh, well already it was a document which uh, uh, which means that uh, every man from eighteen to sixty cannot leave the country. So yeah, that was like a total mobilization of our uh, people and uh, thousands uh, maybe. Yeah, thousands of people just left the Kiev uh, because that was the um, the main goal of Russian invasion. Of course, they wanted to 
Uh, well, they, their was their goal was, of course, to occupy Kiev, and then I don't know started to attack some other uh, city. So yeah, the first day we just uh, was sitting. Maybe okay, we had some fear, of course. We didn't sleep at all, and uh, next day we decided to uh, leave the Kiev because. Um, about half kilometer from me, uh, we heard about again the explosion, and the rocket hit the house, which is opposite uh, the school where is my brother uh, studying. So and that was that. Uh, yeah, my brother is eleven years old. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that was really scary because we was very lucky that rocket doesn't hit uh, our house because it would be not possible to. Uh, be be alive after that. Wow. So so yeah, just it hit a neighbor house and uh, there was like a very big uh, fire. Yeah, and uh, we saw it and we decided, okay, we have to leave the Kiev. Many many cars uh, leave. Many people just was in, uh, in some fear, and uh, many people was scary about that. And uh, when we was on the road. We was in center of Kiev um, to the road uh, leave to leave the city, but when we was there, uh, well, actually, personally, me, I saw maybe everything from Russian, uh, like not not weapons, like uh, technique, uh, except tanks. I didn't see any tank, but actually, I saw their planes and uh, how they um, attack the object, uh, some. Objects and also I uh, saw their cars with this later Z, Z and uh, okay I didn't uh, uh, notice there was a tank but after ten minutes we leave the Kiev there was already some uh, few tanks few uh, BTRs and that was really scary because it it went from Nowhere, actually. It was like uh, in the forest somewhere. Uh, and after that, well, well, okay, when we leave the Kiev, the road to the uh, Vinitsa, it's big city where uh, parents of my father was living. And we went to this city. And the road actually was quite normal. Okay, we heard some explosions, but it uh, didn't really... Uh, happened to us, uh, thanks to God. Well, that that is actually about how we live the Kiev. Yeah, and as you mentioned in in your interview with Peter Doggers, that journey uh, to the town Venetia, I apologize if I didn't say that right, um, took about ten hours. So uh, your family does have a car. You you did have a car to to get to in order to make that journey. Yeah, we had car. Yeah, we have. Okay. And so you, you make your way. Obviously, it takes a long time, but we're so glad that you and your family made it out safely. That's a, a harrowing story you told about, uh, you know, the, the attacks hitting so close to home and to uh, your 11-year-old brother's school. Uh, so once you make it to Vinyansev, slightly um, less, um, you know, slightly safer for the moment, uh, what happened next, Kirill? Uh Well... The west of our country was a bit uh, safer uh, in these days, so un- until the end of the February. But uh, from the March, 
uh, Russian rockets started to hit uh, big cities as Lviv, as also Vinitsa. So in one of the days, uh, I woke up at 6 a.m. And at 7 a.m. I saw two planes and my grandmother saw one rocket. There was uh, um, attack on the Vinita airport. They and there was like uh, some military law. There, every seven rocket uh, hit the, this airport and just uh, destroyed their everything. So I didn't see a rocket, but I saw the planes, which is also not not our. And uh, this this happened about two or three times in in March, and. Uh, yeah, but we heard some explosions uh, sometimes, but it wasn't every day. And we finally get some safe and get some uh, call that we are okay. We are in safety, and uh, probably if if something will go wrong, we are not alone, and we are with our grandparents. So yeah, that was a great decision, and I decided to how to. Um, create help to our people who is uh, like, you know, in start of a march, uh, many of our uh, big part of our country, uh, for example, East, there was uh, with no food, with no water, with no electricity. So I decided to, um, to do what I can. And I uh, had the idea to write uh, to Hikaru Nakamura uh, and I appealed to them. He has very big uh, uh, audience. He, okay, he collects about uh, thousands of people who watch him, and uh, he can really donate to the like charity funds. Uh, money from can go, can get to the right hands and to, to help our people. And uh, well, thanks to him, he responded to me and. Uh, we did uh, tw- uh, 12-hour uh, charity stream, which was joining also many famous streamers and uh, Danny Ranch and uh, uh, Anna Rudolph and so on. There was many, uh, you know, famous streamers. And after that also, after this stream, uh, this, like, uh, this charity idea was continued by many of American streamers and I'm thankful to all of them who collected, I don't know, maybe in total they um, to collected about half a million dollars and wow. uh, yeah, and uh, just it, it was sending but to the our charity fund. So I hope uh, it went to right hands and actually saved some lives. Yeah, it was amazing to see the chess community rally like that. And um, shout out to Takaru and Danny Ranch and everyone who took a part in that. I know it was a, a large, um, a large following. And then Kirill, um, to to bring it forward, I mean, you've you're you're in Germany with your family now. We should say you're you're safely in Germany, and you you've been playing chess. Um, so, how did you finally decide to leave the country? 
Well, I, uh, we got the chance to leave the country because of European Championship. Uh, so that was like an official paper that uh, uh, we can leave the country for official tournament. It's not possible for open tournaments, but it's possible for like some uh, individual, uh, some European, some world championship and so on. So I decided to... Okay, I didn't even think about it because uh, it looks my parents wasn't some safety and I have to continue my career. So I decided to play in European Championship and uh, took my grandmother and uh, young brother to, with me. So we went to Slovenia firstly and then we uh, I tried to find some, um, uh, some place here and I was uh, very lucky to find it. And we are here in Germany, so uh, I don't know how many uh, months we will be here, but uh, if I get to, back to Ukraine, so I will have no uh, chance again to leave the country for playing some tournaments. And, uh, well, my parents stayed there in Ukraine, in Kiev, and my grandfather too. So that's like uh, the things uh, which is not very... <clears throat> which is kind of upset me, but, um, well, we are communicating every day. So that's, and, and everyone's safe for now, Kirill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And in terms of your, your grandmother coming with you and your brother, um, how, I mean, it's, it's hard to even think about trying to make a decision of, of who would come with you, but how, how did your family approach that? Uh, well, my mother uh, decided to stay with father because it's very difficult to leave him. And of course, my father uh, cannot leave the country of his age. He's uh, 48. So, um, yeah, he, can, he can't leave the country. But that was like uh, not a decision. Okay. Yeah. And, and your brother, um, is he thinking about going to school like that's such a sudden he, change for an 11 year old yeah he's studying uh in his ukrainian school by online so that was oh, okay yeah they doing uh online lessons and they are studying so uh, we of course uh, thought about uh, maybe he might go to school here but uh, we decided okay he was studying in ukrainian and uh, maybe he will join some uh, deutsch lessons, Deutsch courses to learn the foreign language is very useful for him. Well, I'm glad that he's able, so he's able to see the same kids that he knew, um, that he knew in Ukraine. And it, there's a, I guess it's, it feels a, probably a tiny bit like it's, uh, yeah, the like same atmosphere. Normal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad, glad to hear that. And in terms of your living situation, are you guys just renting a flat or did someone um, donate it? Like, and are you able to stay there as long as needed? No, we're renting you... a flat, yeah. Okay, um, that, that's good. Um, we, we met very friendly uh, people. They are about uh, 70, both of them. They are um, working in medicine and uh, they was very glad to... Uh, to see that to see us in their home and uh, 
we are also very happy with meeting them because it's quite difficult uh, to be in Germany and not uh, know their language. But okay, we are learning for, from day to day and uh, become better. So they help us and we are very thankful to them. That's great. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, your English is quite good, but I was guessing you probably didn't have a history with the German language. I was studying one year, but it was uh, when I was 11, so I don't remember a lot. Uh, but some knowledge has, I have, but it's not it's not too much. So I decided to, okay, now, now it's time. It's <laughs> necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and meanwhile, Kirill, you're one of the best junior chess players in the world. You know, while all this stuff swirls you've got quite a promising career uh you've got you just played as you mentioned the european championship a huge event um from my perspective it seemed like a a decent showing i'm sure i'm sure one always wants to do better but i mean you 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 held your own for sure and now you've got even bigger opportunities ahead uh so how do you even think about chess in these circumstances Kirill? is it providing an escape for you or are you finding it tough to to uh, think about a game with uh, these th- this awful backdrop. Well, I actually even already from started when I lived in uh, Ukraine, I decided to not uh, watch the news uh, a lot. So I am, of course, I uh, just uh, stay tuned with some very uh, very important some news. And uh, my parents also tell me something, but mo- mostly, most of, of my time, I, of course, I'm focused on my chess because I can't really help my people in Ukraine if I just uh, sit and wait and sit and read some news. So I just uh, do my best in my chess. And uh, yeah, because of course, I, I worry about our people. And uh, today I also heard uh, that in, in uh, on the west of our country uh, Russia sent uh, five rockets and uh, everybody every, every rocket hit the goal but uh, on the other hand I cannot do much about that so uh, that's why I'm focusing on my chess and are you are you able to put hours in studying like both from a like do you have the time and are you do you find that you're able to focus both when you're at the board Kirill, but also when you're preparing yes exactly i have some time to studying and uh, try to make uh, uh, like uh, daily routine some uh, casual that's good so what kind of routine have you settled into are you doing mostly engine work do you work on calculations like what's your preferred method of study for obviously the the high level you're begin you're coming from well as you know every part of uh, chess is very important so mostly i'm preparing uh, right now to the, my opponents on grand chess tour and uh, of course i try to uh, improve my skills. Uh, it's it doesn't matter really uh, which which part of chess because every part is very important and uh, it's hard to um, say which one is most more more important. 
Yeah. And and we should say for listeners, Kirill, he's he's taking place in the chess.com junior speed championship. Um, we're recording this about two weeks before this interview will be released. So we probably won't we won't go too blow by blow on that, but that I'm definitely um I've tuned in Friday and rooting for Kirill and we'll be doing the same in future matches. And of course the Grand Chess Tour event that Kirill alluded to. Uh, May 18th to May 23rd in Poland, and some absolute legends in there that he'll get a chance to play with, Levana Roni and Fabiano Caruana, Wesley So, Richard Rapport, Viswanathan Anand, Jan, Jan Krzysztof Duda, Anton Korobov, Radoslav Wojtusek, and Konstantin Lupilescu, along with Kirill. So just an amazing opportunity to to play against these legends, although you already, you already beat out Fabiano in the... Uh, the aforementioned Blitz tournament, among many others. So, Kirill, I was curious if you consider yourself a sort of fast chess specialist or if that's just another facet of the game for you. Well, I actually don't have uh, many practice, didn't have many practice in Ukraine. We, uh, unfortunately, we didn't have any <clears throat> club, any place we, where we Ukrainians can come and the training somehow, but uh, I was training by internet when the quarantine was started. So uh, that's how I trained my blitz skills. But I, I don't know if if I'm first uh, chess specialist, so it's better to other people to uh, judge me somehow. But uh, I just try to improve there and that's 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 it. Okay. So, but are you like, you know, obviously a lot of us find speed chess pretty addictive. Are you someone who's playing speed chess for hours a day or do you tend to play it more for the events and focus more on your classical oh, Mostly for events. I don't uh, play tons of games. So I play usually for training some openings and maybe for some, well, it's like a different approach of training. So it's not uh, the big part of my trainings. Makes makes your feats all the more impressive. Now, Kirill, um, in addition to yourself playing in the the European Championship, there were there was a strong Ukrainian contingent, which a lot of us chess fans were really happy to see so many Ukrainian players there. So I'm curious if you could offer your perspective about sort of the mindset of the other players and uh, whether you feel an increased sense of uh, of unity and uh, you know pride in your country, rightful pride in, in your country. Like, um, has this brought you guys closer together? Well, it's, uh, of course, uh, that uh, situation united us and uh, we discussed it uh, for a long time and uh, we was uh, really interesting in each other who is, who is going to leave the country with his family and who is going to um, went back. So, as I know, no no one grandmaster uh, went back to Ukraine because it's obvious it's impossible to to continue the career. But some of uh, Childs uh, was played there under uh, under eighteen, and they went back to Ukraine. Some of them, so for them it's not it's not very big problem to uh, get some uh, free from Ukraine, but. It's uh, it's it's really extremely brave decision for them because uh, no one part in Ukraine is in is in safe now. It's impossible to say where is most mostly safe place because rockets hits everywhere, and um, 
Well, as I know, yeah, many grandmasters uh, are in Poland, some of them in Germany. Um, but I didn't ask a lot, but of course they are uh, in most safe place. Listeners, we're going to take a quick break and then get back to our interview with Grandmaster Kirill Shevchenko. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by Chessable.com. Of course, by now, I hope you all know that Chessable uses its proprietary move trainer technology to quiz you on the chess sequences that you need to remember. Often it will be an opening sequence, a tactical pattern, or even a crucial end game, and they've got courses to help you with all aspects of your game. Some of their new courses include Grandmaster Romain Edwards' English Breakfast, which is the reverse Sicilian against the English, and the Deceptively Simple French Exchange by I Am Sam Collins. So many more new courses coming out practically every day, so be sure to go to chessable.com and check out both their free and their for-purchase offerings. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And what about uh, your interaction with, with any Russian players? Obviously, this is a controversial issue. There's been discussion, you know, like Grandmaster Yakub Agard uh, has been quite outspoken that he, he feels that all Russian players uh, should be banned from international events. Uh, while this conflict is going on, and he, you know, he and others concede that um, obviously many of the elite Russian players have been outspoken in uh, they don't agree with with this war. Um, but nonetheless, if they get to compete, it kind of normalizes uh, the um, the conflict. So I'm curious to hear what you think about issues like that, Kirill. Well, uh, maybe as you know, we uh, tried to send the letter to the FIDE, uh, where we was disagree with our decision that uh, Russian, the Belarusian chess players, still able to play in international tournaments, but it didn't uh, work well, and uh, they are still playing, but uh, under FIDE flag. So I don't know. For for me personally, I decided to not even. Uh, be in this team uh, a lot, so yeah, it's it, it was quite a strange decision because uh, every sports uh, association banned uh, Russian players, but not uh, chess. Uh, well, but uh, we we sent the two letters, and uh, no one didn't. Um, maybe it wasn't. Uh, good for 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 Russian players. I don't know, but it uh, didn't work out well. Okay, um, yeah, it's maybe Fide can reconsider in time, and you know, possibly related. Uh, you know, the Fide had Arkady Dvorkovich. Of course, he's had some um, light condemnations of the uh, Russian invasion. But uh, he's got a long time, you know, 
uh, relationship with Putin. Um, do you feel that he should stay as the head of the uh, of FIDE under these circumstances? No, I don't. Exactly, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I got the impression, again, Peter Dogger's this article that I'll link in the show notes, but it's a, it's a few weeks old by now, but he also quoted many of your Ukrainian chess-playing compatriots, and there seemed to be a pretty strong consensus on on that opinion. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, and Kirill, we had a we had a question from a supporter of the podcast, Stephen Sparks. And Stephen asked, he said that you've been quoted as resisting invitations to move to another federation or perhaps even emigrate somewhere on a sort of uh, more permanent basis. Um, so he asked if that's something you might reconsider, or is it too soon? And if you might explain why you've resisted switching federations uh, thus far. Well, actually, for now, uh, I think it's very mm, bad. Uh, in in, it's very bad to switch the federation from Ukraine to some else. Of course, uh, many many federations uh, uh, propose me, and uh, I also know uh, a lot of U.S. Uh, universities uh, also offered me to uh, stay in the USA and so on, but. I decided, okay, it's it's not time to for such a tough decision. And uh, actually, the Ukrainian team is still possible, still have possibility to play in international tournaments. For example, we are going to play Olympiad if That's everything uh, will be fine. So <clears throat> it's not a great time to uh, even think about it. So I don't uh, really switch now, but. Uh, as time will proceed, we will see. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, do you know what the Olympia team would be? Or has it not no. gotten that far? Actually, okay. no, because um, some of our players stay in Ukraine who can can play, but uh, if they will have chance to leave the country, it would be very great. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so do you think it's possible that even... Some players who are not amongst the top five rated in order to get them yeah, out of the yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, th- that that's good to hear. Um, well, Kudil, this has been amazing. I know a lot of these topics are difficult. I do. Uh, I'd like to wrap up just just hearing a little more chess talk. I mean, you got to play Ali Reza Faruja, uh, You know, your fellow top junior at the World Rapid and Blitz. Again, you got to play all these giants in in uh, OTB Blitz. Um, so I'm just curious, what are your most cherished memories so far in your fast-growing chess career? Mm. Well, actually, that tournament, was, uh, which was in November, that was like a very big uh, uh, surprise for me and a very big pleasure to me uh, to win both tournaments, European Championship and also uh, Linderes Abbey Memorial. Uh, both of them was uh, very difficult all day to participate, uh, but uh, there some was some sort of luck. There some uh, I don't know, probably skills, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that is still uh, on on this moment. It's uh, the biggest uh, like success in my career, but I'm sure everything is ahead. But that was really impressive and especially uh, the last round of European Championship when Ali Reza Firuja won his game against Sukhair Mamidyarov 
we even had uh, some talk with uh, Alexander Moiseenko during this game. And he is very good in uh, mathematics and he calculated uh, bubbles of both team and he told us, okay, everything is fine. You're uh, going to win this tournament because you're two points of Google's ahead. But we wasn't uh, sure because some, like for example, Chess24 uh, was writing, if Alireza uh, wins, then the France won uh, the gold medals. So yeah, that was uh, very um, like big uh, happiness when uh, we opened chess results and uh, finally we uh, got that we are first. That's great. And for listeners, I can I can see Kirill, even though this will be shared audio only, and there's a big smile on his face as he relives relives this moment. Kirill, do you think that because it was a team tournament uh, with your countrymen, it took on like added meaning? Mm, yes, I think because uh, we didn't win uh, European Championship from the in our history in Ukrainian history that was the only um, tournament Ukraine didn't won in uh, individual and also in team championship. So uh, we was very happy, of course, because of that. Yeah, and it's surprising, of course, with Ukraine having such a rich chess history and so many modern legends as well. So I'm glad that, that you guys were finally able to break through. And obviously, I feel like under the current global circumstances, any neutral chess fan is rooting for Ukrainians in, in, in every event. I'm sure you'll have both in team events like the Olympiad and uh, like the Superbet Blitz tournament, you'll have you'll have a lot of people rooting for you, which... Um, yeah, thank small you. Yeah, I mean, small consolation given what's going on, though. Um, so, Kirill, in closing, I mean, uh, I'm a you know basically a one man shop chess podcast. So, I mean, I do have good amount of listeners. I'm happy to report, but I, I'm no Hikaru Nakamura. But I would I would like to to make a donation to the um, Ukrainian cause of your choice, which can just be to your family members if needed, or if you have a preferred organization as you did in conjunction with chess.com um where where would you direct anyone who wants to um help well i think uh, there's many charity funds where uh which is our government uh, decided to create i actually don't know uh which one is better mm, probably if you give me some time i will uh find it but uh when we did a charity stream with Nakamura, he created his own uh, charity fund uh, on this website care.org. And uh, that was like, uh, that is US, US uh, charity fund. Okay. Probably from, from that uh, fund already their government sent to uh, our government this money. Probably that's how it works. Okay. Um, yeah, so... I'll, I'll, if that link is still active, I'll put it there. And anything else that Kirill sends me again, we have two weeks from when we're recording. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll make a donation and encourage anyone who is inspired to do the same to, to do that as well. But Kirill, as your family, are you and your family okay from a financial perspective for now? Yeah, thank you. I'm good. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. And, and Kirill, thank you for taking the time. I mean, again, I know it's a difficult time, um, but, 
we we really appreciate hearing your perspective and like i said uh we'll definitely be rooting for you in these upcoming big events that you have thank you very much following this break we will be back with an interview with wfm maria emelyanova Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by aimchess.com. Aimchess, of course, is a website with an algorithm that gathers your games from the major chess playing sites and gives you actionable information about areas to improve or appreciate. For me, my openings are pretty good. My resourcefulness and time management in Blitz need to be improved. Um, They also tell you how your tactics are doing, your endings, your advantage capitalization, and give you specific puzzles based on your own games. So go to aimchess.com if you have not already. Take a look around. You can try it for free. And then if you end up wanting to subscribe to aimchess.com, please use the code PERPETUAL30 to save 30% off of initial subscription at aimchess.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are here with a return guest of the pod, friend of the pod. She is a chess journalist, a chess photographer, a popular Twitch streamer, Russian by birth, although she is a frequent traveler and a citizen of the world. You can hear a lot more about her background if you're not catching her Twitch streams, as you should be in episode 227 of Perpetual Chess. But here she is rejoining us, uh, Maria Emelyanova, a.k.a. Photo Chess. Maria, how are you? Hello, Ben. Thank you for having me again. It's uh, it's great to be here again, and uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, not not the best of circumstances, of course, with uh, uh, the Russia and Ukraine conflict. And obviously, Maria, I appreciate that you reached out to come on to discuss that as someone born in Russia. And I'd like to start by asking you um, a similar question to what I asked Kirill Shevchenko, as I mentioned to you before we were recording. Um, here we are recording on April 25th, and I have already recorded my conversation with Kirill, which listeners will have also already heard. But Maria, uh, when the news of Russia's escalation um, attack, when the the um, conflict escalated from Russia is amassing troops to Russia is actually launching an unprovoked attack, um, where were you and, uh, and could you just take us through uh, getting that news? Uh, actually, I it was around six a.m. Um, in my city in Yekaterinburg, where I was at the time, and I was awake because on that day I was traveling to Moscow and then to Europe in order to make my second jab shot for Pfizer mm-hmm. uh, to be ready to go to the international events without any issues because back then the COVID passport was still quite important, unlike now. And I was packing to to go. So I was just having breakfast as I uh, learned the news. And I, I remember that I just could not really finish my food. I, I was just uh, sitting there completely shocked and thinking, how is that even possible? 
to have a war now in 2022. And I wasn't sure maybe I'm still asleep. And my mother was the same. She also could not really understand what's going on. She did not believe that it's an attack. She, um, well, she reads a lot of news in Russia and watches television. So she said, it's not possible. It's just an operation. And I could not really discuss it with her because I realized that it will damage her more than me mentally to process this and to realize what is actually going on. And I was partially glad that I'm leaving home, that, um, that I will not expose her to the real news, even if I don't want to. Yeah. Now, Maria, it's been reported fairly uh, substantially by obviously non-chess media outlets that a lot of the independent media in Russia, I mean, it, it they were fighting an uphill battle to begin with, and they've been outright banned in the wake of this war. So for the people like your mother, it's, it's very hard to really know what's going on, um, especially if they're just getting their news from resources like television or radio. Um, so how, I mean, obviously you travel a lot, uh, you're, you're well-read, you follow outside news sources, but when you're in Russia, how are you able to keep up with what's actually going on? I mean, again, I know you've left, I know you're joining us from London, but generally, how is it that people like you are able to, to keep apprised of what's really going on? Whereas people from your mother's generation might find that more challenging. Well, it's. I think the only way is to use VPN. And in fact, in Russia, the VPN is called like a blue evil whale. I'm not sure why is it called this way, but uh, there is a lot of propaganda now in schools and um, in like kindergartens where they try to encourage the parents to restrict their children from using VPN calling that this is causing them to slash their wrists. That's, I mean, I, I, I don't even understand how in the 21st century, a grown-up adult with ili- even a little amount of critical think- thinking will believe this. But it seems like they do. Um, and as far as I know, it's illegal to use uh, VPN. Of course, you unlikely will be found found to, to be using it, but it still requires some uh, technical knowledge to, to install it on your phone. And not everyone has computers uh, or, or laptops. And um, if you're using specific networks in Russia, even VPN will not uh, allow you to open certain websites. They will be blocked uh, on... Uh, on the network level, not on VPN level. You can still use some more skilled uh, programs to avoid it, but you need to have um, a special education for that or follow the instructions. So it's all illegal. Uh, Getting getting the real news uh, is basically illegal. 
Yeah, and a VPN, of course, a virtual private network, a way to um, hide where you are in the world so that Mm -hmm. if something's banned in Russia, you can still gain access to it. And do, I mean, from what I've heard, I've heard estimates ranging from, say, 50 to 70% of Russian citizens are tend to believe uh, the the Kremlin um, propaganda. D- does that ring true to you, Maria? You would know better than, than anything that I've heard. Well, when I was giving an interview at the beginning of the war, I think I estimated it around 65 to 35. And I was actually really upset to to later find out that it was in fact 80 to 20 some people even mentioned 90 to 10 but it's slowly decreasing Um, people do get information even from the state media right before the state media will be banned because even the journalists who were reporting for years on lies are coming uh, coming forward and apologizing and uh, there was very emotional um, news uh, reported lately how they it's their last day they will not be able to do their job anymore because they have no freedom of speech but they still want to do this to do the right thing to to say that it's all a lie and of course then the media is shut down and and it's gone but it's enough for people to see it and to actually start questioning like if they really believed these journalists for years and now these journalists are saying it was a lie then it was probably a lie and then they will start searching and if the person wants to find they will find is the problem that they don't want to find the truth that is stopping them, not because it's not enough information. Right. And on the topic of someone like your mother, again, um, and I appreciate your being willing to talk about this, like, do you see any, again, I, I totally understand why you don't want to debate it with her. Um, you know, it's a family relationship. Um, and, and those things, the emotions get involved and it can be tough to to break through. But do you see any people from her or, or her friends that you might be in contact with? Do they have any doubts creeping in or are they just getting fed the the, the party line and uh, not able to question uh, what they're told? Most of them are, yeah, they, they completely believe it and are probably also partially afraid to find the truth. And I cannot really blame them because this situation that Russia was in for decades, um, well, regardless of the state um, system that that we had, the political parties, the the USSR or the later Russian Federation, there was always a huge amount of propaganda by the state. There was always a lot of lies that we were exposed to since since the beginning of the presidentship of Putin. There was a lot of lies. There was a lot of misinformation. And to acknowledge all that 
means to acknowledge that all your life was a lie and all the beliefs that you had were a lie. And that is very difficult to go through, especially for elderly people. So I don't think they will be able to to actually face it because that will actually make them end up in a complete nightmare. And now they all just sort of accept the difficulties that they are getting and saying, oh, it could have been worse. And that is always the phrase that I heard since uh, since I was a child. Oh, but some people live in, even worse. It's fine. We will get through it. We, the the gen- on genetic level, I think my parents, grandparents are used to live in uh, very difficult conditions and. Uh, overcoming a lot of uh, obstacles and they never really um, kind of said to themselves this is not right they just accepted it and that's the problem that a lot of Russian people of the previous generation have the young the younger people they get more critical thinking from the West. They can go travel and see how the other world lives. And they realize this is not the way for us to live. We should not live like we do. We we were put in this uh, bubble to live like this, but we don't want to. While the older generation is just accepting it without questioning. And I don't think this is going to go away. Even now with the war, even even if it lasts longer, I think a lot of people just on a genetical level have this problem. You just cannot change them. That is a big problem that we have. And unfortunately, going out uh, in the streets and protesting will not uh, will not change that, I don't think. And Maria, you you mentioned protests. And one thing I wonder, you know, from the outside looking in, um, you hear these terrible stories. Obviously, people who are outright protesting the war uh, are being arrested. Uh, You also even hear stories of people in Moscow uh, holding like blank signs. If they bring a sign that doesn't say anything, Uh, even in that case, they are often um, arrested. Now, what you don't hear, or at least I haven't heard as often here in the U.S., is what happens after they get arrested? Do you, have you heard any stories or reliable reporting about like what like are people staying in jail? Are they being released that day? Are they being released in a few days? Does it does it vary? What what have you heard, if anything, in that regard, Maria? Oh, well, I know that some of the people who were arrested, I I did follow some of the stories. Uh, they they have been released. I think the. The main idea behind the arrests is to scare, well, first of all, of course, these people, to scare people who saw it, to have more people scared to go in the streets. But I've seen the same people going out to protest again on purpose, to to send a message to others that 
I'm not afraid, even after I went to, well, it's not a jail, it's a, it's a pre-arrest area, that, yes, I'm here, they have no interest in me, at least yet, but I'm willing to go again, I'm willing to get arrested again, and so should you. And, of course, for me personally, being outside of Russia, to tell people to go and protest would be very uh, selfish. And um, I don't want to do that because it is dangerous. I don't know if everyone was released. I don't know if uh, everyone is safe uh, and uh, not, not injured or anything. Uh, but I know that they were also arresting random people, completely random people going, ju- just just happened to be in the wrong place in the wrong time. So even if you are going to the shop uh, to just buy some some food, uh, but they see a backpack, they might they might arrest you. So to sit at home and just to be scared all the time is also not uh, not not uh, not an option, at least for me. But what exactly to do? I'm afraid we don't have uh, a very strong opposition leader right now who could lead all these people in the right way. Uh, so I think the only the only way something will change is when we hit this point of uh, completely unsustainable crisis, when people lost, so many people lost their jobs, so many people have no money to feed their families and cannot leave the country and have no means of surviving, that these people will will start going in the streets because they have nothing else to do. If this point of no return happens, then our our, uh, government is in trouble. Until then, I think they will be able to scare enough people to to not to go out and also enough people encourage enough people to report on their neighbors and their even their family neighbors uh, i i've heard about that that they would report on their family members about wrong beliefs about western propaganda and so on and write them as a foreign agent and and so on so that's uh, that's like a big throwback to to the Soviet times. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and Maria, how do you think about the risks of speaking out yourself? Now, as you mentioned, you're you're outside of the country, but presumably, I mean, I would you've got family there. I would think you'd like to go back at some point. The, did did you have thoughts of uh, keeping your thoughts to yourself? And how, like, did, how did you think about that? Well, of course, I'm very scared of not being able to go back home, maybe ever again. I do have family. I I do have mother. I want to see her again. Uh, but for me to to keep my thoughts to myself would be to to stop being a human. I. I I just cannot imagine that I can pretend that nothing is happening and um, just sit in my shell and enjoy my free life. Uh, 
when so many people not only are being killed, but being tortured, being um, raped, and it's it's almost like they are making fun of a human life and think they are superior over. Well, it all sounds really like 1941, right? Yeah, and it it, it basically is, and. A couple of years ago, I went to Auschwitz, and I've seen it all with my with my own eyes. I've seen what what's been done to uh, to the to the race, which was uh, was considered um, not uh, not um, worthy of living. And that's what is now happening to Ukrainians. Yeah. And I just cannot, I cannot think of myself as a human being if I let this happen without saying anything. Even if this would mean that my life will change forever and I might not see my family again. Wow. And just uh, on a personal note, I can't help but, but wonder, Maria, we, we talked about your cats in your last interview. Do they often make appearances in your stream? I'm, guess, I'm guessing they're back in Ekaterinburg as well. Yes, they are with my mother. And um, my only hope is that they keep her enough of company to, um, to not to feel completely lonely because, um, yeah, our family is not that big. Mm-hmm. And my brother also left the country. And wow. she's, yeah, she's basically alone. And uh, yeah, I really want to see her again. But at the same time, I think she's safer, uh, safer away from me and away from my thoughts and beliefs and uh, statements. And I hope it will stay this way. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you say, uh, condi- unfortunately, conditions continuing to get worse could ultimately bring an end to this. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not near-term optimistic. I'm sad to say, but long-term, maybe this can help uh, help bring about change. And if that change were to come, then hopefully, you and your mother both would be able to travel freely um, with. As little, you know, we we just hope for as little of a human toll as possible. But Marie, I also want to talk about just sort of the the chess worlds. I mean, obviously, you're a big part of the chess world, mm-hmm. and you're, you know, quite friendly with a lot of the the top players in the world, and I think a lot of Russian players in particular. Uh, during our last interview, you were joining me from uh, Jan Napomnichi's house as he began to train for the World Championship. Um, do you so? We've seen a lot of the public statements. I've been, you know, 95% happy to see most of the statements from top players condemning the war and calling it what it is. Um, have you also had conversation? And, and also, we should mention you and your team at chess.com, as Kirill spoke about in our interview, um, just raised an incredible amount of money. And uh, it's been great to see the chess world rally around the cause. But I'm curious uh, what other interactions, if any, you've had with other uh, sort of uh, prominent Russian chess players. Uh, well, of course, I spoke to a lot of uh, chess players from Russia. And I 
I I prefer to not to mention specific names, but what I can say that uh, a lot of them, whether they are in Russia or outside of Russia, are completely against the war. They don't want this to be happening. They want to stop it. But unlike me, I I am not a I'm I cannot call myself a professional chess player. It's this is not my main source of living. I can speak freely and as I mentioned I, I'm taking the the I'm accepting what might happen to me and my family. For chess players who are exposed more um in Russia since they have their families there as well and their assets and they keep traveling between the countries between the tournaments and uh, the home countries for them to speak might mean to lose everything the ability to travel the ability to to earn money for their uh, family for their households but a lot of them are against the war and to divide them just because they spoke openly or not I don't think it's very fair because everyone is in very different circumstances. Some of them had enough savings to leave and take the, the entire family with them to settle in Europe. And some of them did not have this money. And some of them are older and can take such decisions. And some of them are much younger and simply are not ready for this. And you cannot really be ready for this to flee your country. Even me, uh, I'm over 30 years old. And I'm sometimes really scared and I cannot stop crying because um, in just one day or one week, my entire life changed. And I sometimes think, oh, I should have taken this uh, item from home. I should have taken this. I, I should have taken these documents. I might need them for some some visa application. And I couldn't and I might not be able to take it because even correspondence is stopped between Russia and other countries, plus the fact that I'm, by, uh, by by doing what I do, I break countless number of laws every day. To accept that is very difficult. We were not brought up for this. We, we were brought up to just play chess. And to demand of chess players to have uh, an open stance on the war is not fair. It's just not fair on anyone. And I'm not. Comp- I'm not saying that what happens to us is the worst. I'm not trying to say that that Russians are the victims. No, uh, of course, to to have your house bombed, to have your family killed or tortured, is just it's just the worst what can happen to you. Uh, but it's it's unfair on any of on everyone both Russians and Ukrainians. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, it's it's good that, that you point out that obviously the impact on Ukraines is even degrees higher, but I mean, it does strike me hearing your stories, it really puts a personal note on on just how difficult it can be for for Russians as well. Now, Maria, I did want to clarify what you what you meant when you said that that you're breaking you're breaking laws daily. Um, yeah, so during the first week of the war, there was a few new laws um, appointed. I, don't, I probably don't even know about all of them, 
but it's not allowed to mention the word war right, in yeah. any social media. It's not allowed to spread out fake news. And of course, you can, uh, you, you can put a lot of things as fake news. I cannot even be sure which one of my tweets or social media posts or even streams can be considered as uh, Western propaganda, as misinforma- misinformation, as uh, uh, yeah, spreading the, the lies about about this special operation quotes. Um, but I have a lot of Russian people coming to my streams, even when I stream in English, and saying thank you for being the voice, because we cannot have it. And they are probably even worried to write these words, even if it's in English, even if it's on a platform that is not yet banned in Russia. But they say that we, they, we cannot do it, and you can, and thank you for that. And I do think that by doing what I do, I can help more than if I did go for a protest in Russia, for example, because that is very uh, limited act. While here I have more possibilities to speak out for at least a small minority of Russians. But since they put so many laws and restrictions on us we probably have a power otherwise they would not have done that and regarding the other uh, laws that i might be breaking well as i said i cannot be sure about all of them but there is something about financial um like like income based uh, uh laws that For example, if you have uh, jobs or contracts outside of Russia and you get foreign assets, uh, you are legally obliged to transfer 80% of those to Russian bank and convert into rubles. And you are not allowed to withdraw or take out any foreign currency from a Russian bank right now. So a lot of people also get their assets stuck there so they cannot leave. The The whole idea is to not allow people to leave and have more freedom to speak. Yeah, it's, um, it's also depressing. Um, you know, Maria, as we, as we wrap up, I would like to talk about something slightly uh, more upbeat, which is just uh, all, all the money that, that you and Hikaru and, uh, uh, Danny Wrench and um, Eric and all the team from from Chess.com managed to raise. Um, Kirill was uh, quite appreciative. Um, you know, I had seen a tweet where from from one stream, you guys raised over. It was like one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, but he mentioned five hundred thousand dollars in total. Just uh, absolutely incredible. So I was on to sort of finish on on a brighter note. Could you walk us through sort of your involvement? In that, and I know that in in another media appearance you did, you mentioned that you you began trying to do some streams to raise some money in short order once you got settled from this uh, awful news. Um, yeah, as I mentioned in uh, uh, in an interview with Philip Borel Fontelis, I I um, when once I kind of went out of this 
state of kind of being hit with a yeah like with a bag of sand you know like when you just don't understand what's going on it was it was about two days i was in croatia i i went there just to do my uh my shot of vaccine uh, which of course at that moment already felt like something completely irrelevant to to my life I was in a hotel room and I felt like I have no purpose. I don't know what to do now. And I just went live and I started talking about this and I decided to start raising money for... I didn't even know at the time where exactly I will send the money. I just wanted to to talk about it and people immediately started donating. And I was first accepting it just to my own um, wallet uh, on PayPal, and a couple of days later, I decided to start doing uh, the charity with Direct Relief, who helps with humanitarian uh, um, support in Ukraine. Uh, th- so then later, some of the funds which I was raising on my own um, in my own wallet, I was sending them to various volunteers in Ukraine, uh, helping to specific people, specific stories. Sometimes I would find people on Instagram asking for help and uh, send there. And then I also donated to Direct Relief myself. I also uh, sent the money around $1,500 to the care charity together with Hikaru during the stream. I was trying to also like bring more people to the stream while uh, the other chess players were on the on the stream with Hikaru, um, and yeah, the, of course, of course, the stream with Hikaru was uh, was just amazing in in the reach, in the amount of support, in all the messages I was getting during the stream, and the others, all the support that I got from other streamers saying. Uh, well, of course, I, I always felt like me speaking on the stream of such a big reach and saying about my life and my struggles is just not fair because at least I am safe. At least I don't have an everyday fear of a missile landing in my house or running back to the bombshell like like Anton Korobov did, or Anastasia Rachmangulova did, or, or Kirill Shevchenko, or so many others, or Natalia Zhukova, who is uh, fighting on, on, the, on the front lines with, uh, with her fellow uh, po- political members, sports members, people from all over um, Odessa region just teaming up to help volunteers and soldiers. I am not in this situation, and I cannot complain uh, about what what I'm going through. But people were still coming to 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 support me and to say nice words, and of course that was very uh, very moving. And uh, I want to keep helping. In fact, I I decided to uh, to start uh, putting aside part of my income from Twitch every month. I don't know for how long, but I, I think it will be at least uh, the next six months. I want to start supporting um, mostly children, but also the families of uh, those who lost uh, fathers or brothers in the war in Ukraine, uh, wounded children or 
uh, kids who who became orphans or need um, any treatments in in Europe because a lot of a lot it, it will be a prolonged effect. A lot of people will need help even after the war is over, whenever it is, and of course the, the sooner the better. But uh, they will still need help. It's not going to be over. They will need to to find homes, to find to to establish a new living in the new place in completely foreign country where they might not even be able to speak the local language. And I want to, to get involved with uh, organizations which help them and uh, volunteer for this. And I hope with my community, and my community was very supportive of this. I, I actually announced it a couple of days ago on my stream. And they said that they, they really want to help and they really want to to get involved and to, to listen to these stories because it's real people, it's real stories, and I want to help telling them and uh, make some some impact in their lives. Yeah, well, uh, again, I mean, it's it's awful circumstances, but but I commend you. I mean, it's um, I commend your bravery in speaking out and uh, and your your generosity and both your time and uh, the income you're earning. In terms of uh, directing it towards good causes, and uh, Kirill uh, had left me with a couple suggestions of uh, of um, charities that listeners can donate to, and I'll be donating the proceeds from this episode to to those charities. But Maria, if you have any particular ones to add, you can let me know, and uh, not uh, doesn't have to be now, but you can let me know, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll include those as well. Um, Another question I had, Maria, because I did ask Kirill, and you know, we haven't talked about chess, obviously, as much as I, we usually would on on this show. But one of the sort of um, you know topics that arises from this is uh, to what extent Russian players should be um, like punished for the sins of of their country. Like, should they be allowed to compete internationally? Um, a, a lot of you know, this is a contentious topic. Uh, people seem a lot of people have strong opinions. Um, I'm just curious, as as a, a Russian and someone who's friends with a lot of uh, a lot of um, elite players who are kind of caught in the middle, wh- what your perspective is on this topic, Maria? Um, well, it's hard for me to speak. Um, well. Of course, I am born in Russia, and I was competing under a Russian flag uh, in youth tournaments. But I've changed my federation to English uh, two years ago. It was completely unrelated, obviously, to the war. Uh, It's just because I spent so much time in the UK, I decided to switch so that I have some chances to qualify for the team events. And I did, and I performed very poorly. And um, I'm better as a streamer and uh, maybe a coach sometimes. Uh, so for me to speak on behalf of Russian players is probably wrong. It's probably, um, it's just unfair for me since I it's not my main source of living. But my personal opinion on this is uh, that's probably the easiest way for, uh, for the international chess uh, community is to not to have Russian players competing on for titles, for 
European championship titles and world titles. And of course, I might I might get a lot of angry messages after this, but I just cannot imagine uh, having a Russian player wi- winning European championship and having it announced. And we cannot play the anthem anyway. And it's going to be overshadowed by the war anyway. Having this title will not bring as much satisfaction to this player. And we we all are going to be affected for years and years. But the next two probably are going to be the most uh, crucial for the Russian chess. I think it's just it's just much easier for everyone if Russian players will be banned for part- from participating in championships where they can win international titles. While the open tournaments probably should just divide into those who have Ukrainian players and those who have Russian players competing. And to not to have them not only meeting over the board, I think it won't really help. Uh, if they are in the same room, it's still very, very difficult and it's impossible to focus on chess. And I would have said this about any other country as well. It's just so much easier if the country that is at war should be sanctioned. And I say it as a Russian, we should be sanctioned because this is the country that is attacking. It's not one person who is going to to a war. Yes, he inflicted the war, but it's Russian soldiers who are killing the Ukrainian citizens and soldiers, obviously, as well. But it's a lot of civilians who are being harmed and uh, killed. And to have these players participating in the same event, uh, it's just not going to be a sport. It's not going to be the right conditions for people to play in, even if they are from other countries. Um, it's just very polit- it becomes much more political than 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 sport. So mm-hmm. I think the harsher measures, um, I I do not oppose them personally. But again, for me to speak about this is much easier because I'm not a professional chess player. Yeah, I mean, it's an admirable stance on your part. I I do think, you know, I've gone back and forth on this, but I think I reluctantly agree with you. I mean, when I start to think on a personal level of someone like Alexander Kostinyuk, who's been an amazing ambassador for the game and quite Mm -hmm. outspoken, Um, Peter Svidler, of course, uh, you know, nicest guy in the world and uh, obviously has, has made his feelings known as well. It's, it's hard to think about the personal impact that it has on those. But like you say, there's, there's, all, kinds of, um, there's all kinds of inconveniences that, that you've had to deal with that many others have had to deal with, even if they're not directly involved. Um, yeah, and on the topic of soldiers being also culpable, uh, obviously that's true as well. But I mean, you do hear, you know, you hear stories of, the information that they're being told and these are just young kids being let off to war and they're, you know, being sent there under totally false pretenses that it's not so easy for them to, um, to, to understand given, uh, mm-hmm. the information they're being given. So it, it, there's just so many victims and some of the victims are even aggressors in the war. Um, but, yeah, it's just just an awful situation all around. What can you say? 
Yeah, absolutely. You cannot you cannot really uh, divide people into those who do it willingly and intentionally, and those who uh, who are being misinformed. And of course, they know that if they turn around right now, they probably will be shot in the back if they try to desert the army and to say, "Oh, you should have done it anyway," because killing others is so much worse than to be shot yourself. But it's easy to say when you sit in a sofa, like a lot of uh, a lot of people uh, would come and say, oh, you should just go outside and protest. But you, you, you are giving up a lot in one second. And we, we, nobody is born prepared for this. You have to come to this uh, conclusion on your own terms and on your own, in your own time. And this moment, I hope it will come, this moment will come when the majority of Russians will go to protest. But it's no one's business to ask them to do it and to say that otherwise they are bad people because there are no, there is no just like black and white like in chess in this war. You cannot say that all the Russians are evil and you cannot say that all the Russians are uh, completely uh, innocent in this. We are in, in, in part all responsible for what was building up throughout these 30 years because obviously it did not happen in one day. There was a lot of propaganda and a lot of people were not talking about it because it was just convenient or they had other things on their mind. And you can say that all of us, me and a lot of us are responsible, but also, of course, everybody has their own lives and they were focused on other things. And there is always uh, there is always enough of guilt and also enough of um, circumstances. You can say that you did not, you could not have um, done enough to, to, to stop this. But um, yeah, it's it's just uh, it just should not be happening. That's it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good note to end on when it comes to the war. As you've said, we'll hope against the odds for some sort of speedy resolution with uh, minimal additional damage. But you know, it's um. Unfortunately, that's not the the most likely scenario. Um, So, Maria, uh, last thing before we let you go, um, uh, what's what's going on with your your chess journalism and Twitch streaming? Like, are you going to be covering any events? Um, Are are you streaming as often as ever? Uh, Are you managing to sort of maintain a sort of or at least move towards resuming a regular professional life? Uh, well, I've been trying to um, to settle my own life, to find a new place to live, and I don't, I don't have it yet. But I'm working on it. I'm working with uh, lawyers and looking for options because it's obviously um, difficult to continue professional um, career when when well, I'm still a Russian taxpayer. And to start with, I don't want to pay Russian taxes because we all know where this money goes. Um, so far, I, I don't have any other um, solution of a permanent residence. Um, and I I really want to fix that. Uh, 
but with streaming, it's uh, yeah, I'm I'm streaming more than more than I probably ever did. Uh, it's uh, it's really redeeming to be able to to talk to people and to um, to let them know how it is to to help those in some at least some people in need in in Ukraine and I'm planning to do more charity streams uh, hopefully again with uh, Anton Korobov and maybe some other players um, and um, yeah I'm exploring new ideas how to uh, how to make myself more useful but I'm also planning to attend a various uh, international chess events like Norway chess, like uh, candidates and the Olympiad and the more events in the future as well. Um, I'm just trying to balance out the the problem of uh, the permanent residentship uh, streaming and yeah, my chess, chess photography career. Okay. Well, Maria, we wish you luck. Um, any country would be would be lucky to have you. So, um, obviously, if any listeners have any um, have, have any connections, um, you can you can find Maria on Twitch and on Twitter. Um, anywhere else, Maria, where people could reach out to you? Uh, well, yeah, it's uh, Instagram, it's uh, Twitter. Uh, my my email is. Uh, quite quite known it's uh, also written in twitter they can reach me out at mariachess.com i but i i i'm not expecting anyone to to help i i i'm i'm sure i i'm not in the in the most difficult situation here uh, at least i i know the i know the language enough to to be able to make my ways around i'm i will be more more happy to help others uh, uh, if if I have a chance to, because so many people need will need help, it's not going to be over. And I I wish I, I just want to to let people know that you can always help, even if it's a very small amount. Uh, you can always make a difference in someone's life. And um, don't worry if it's not it's not. Don't think it's not enough. It's always uh, enough. Just to just thoughts are, are helping as well, and uh, I'm sorry that this was quite long. I I know sometimes I can get uh, quite uh, carried away with with my thoughts, but uh, thank you everyone for listening. No, they were amazing insights. It, again, it really really lends a personal perspective to. Uh, obviously, we we all see the the gruesome pictures coming from Ukraine, but to to hear the human element of the the struggle of an enlightened Russian, at least w- Russian born citizen, and we'll see uh, where that goes. But but thanks again, Maria. Really appreciate it. And please be safe and uh, keep keep up uh, all of the um, noble fundraising that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. And uh, yeah, I I hope to, to hear more beautiful stories from, from your podcast. Thank you, Maria. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. 
big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.